The Sweet 16 is set, Gronk calls it a career, and Michael Avenatti's press conference doesn't go as planned. Let's talk about it on a brand new air attack starting right now. And that Sweet 16 involves a lot of your, your top seeds. In fact, all, all of the top three seeds from every region made it through this year, which I believe is the first time it's ever happened. I said last week I didn't see a whole lot there. I just didn't see a whole lot in, in terms of potential for real chaos. We'll get to March Madness a little bit later. But first, I think we could agree that the, the politics thing in this country has played out. I mean, it really is. It's, it's overwhelming. It's been way too much. And, and social media is to blame because it's tough to get away from it. But the actual, you know, the print media, TV journalists, whatever you want to call them, have a lot to do with it, too. So when I'm hanging out on my couch on Friday afternoon, three TVs going, and they break for a special report on CBS News, which, by the way, used to be, to me, a, a special report is a space shuttle's taking off. Uh, somebody shot the Pope. Somebody tried to kill the president. There's been a terror attack. We don't even do special reports anymore for terror attacks. We do special reports now because Robert Mueller sub- submitted some paperwork on Friday afternoon. Now, first of all, as if you haven't had enough of that guy's name just himself for the last two years. And Twitter's got a lot to do with this. Twitter if you don't realize this, filters the content to sort of fit their political agenda. So you see more and more of the stuff they want you to see and not so much of the stuff they don't want you to see. So all these tweets where I've had to unfollow people who have just been insufferable over the last two years with, you know, boom, bombshell, whoa, here's uh, three flashing red light emojis, okay? It's Mueller time, all this happy horseshit. I can't get away from that during March Madness. You're kidding me, right? This guy couldn't just file this stuff on Monday morning and, and do us all a favor. Thankfully, they didn't cut into, like, let's say, you know, Colgate, Tennessee, which got real dicey for Tennessee late. Thankfully, they didn't cut into that, which I believe was on True TV anyway. But, you know, you just you can't get away from this stuff. And now we know what we know about what's in the report, yada, yada, yada. I think most of us who basically just had either a clear head or no desire for there to be a problem there kind of knew what was was coming from that report anyway. Um, But just after two years of listening to accusation on top of accusation and all of these bombshell articles from The Times and The Washington Post, not to mention the guys on TV and women on TV. And we know the usual suspects, but just telling us about all this inside information and how they knew by the end of the year that, you know, the president was going to be removed or resigned or what have you. And one of those people, of course, has been Michael Avenatti of Stormy Daniels fame. And I think he actually got involved in the Brett Kavanaugh hearings. I think that also turned out to be complete nonsense. Um, He was accused of beating his girlfriend, accused of not paying his taxes, accused of withholding a seven-figure settlement from a guy who's paralyzed. But other than that, an all-around great guy. So Michael Avenatti announces on Sunday that he has a press conference scheduled for the following morning where he's going to announce something big having to do with college sports and apparently Nike. I don't think he planned on getting arrested by the FBI. Okay. Before that press conference, but that's how it went. So now he's trying to shake down Nike for basically, basically just straight cash, $20 million to not disclose some sort of information that he claims he has in the company. Now today on Twitter, he comes out and, and you can follow me on Twitter, by the way, at BC, AKA the man, he comes out today on Twitter and says he's got he's got info on DeAndre Ayton and his time at the school and yada yada yada. So clearly he watched either Zion Williamson blow through a sneaker and saw a company that was vulnerable, or he followed the Adidas scandal, 
which went all the way to LSU and Will Wade getting suspended for the NCAA tournament, which, by the way, they're going to drop him, but we'll, we'll get into that later. Um, and he was inspired, or, or some combination of the two. And he said something, and the reason I say the Zion Williamson thing might have encouraged him was because he talked about, I'm going to take $10 billion off your market cap. In other words, you've already had a, a problem with your stock's reputation just in the last two or three weeks, maybe a little more, maybe a month ago that, that Duke Carolina game was, but you've had a problem with the public perception of your stock. So let me go ahead and just sort of, you know, hit you in a vulnerable spot. Unfortunately for him, he's now charged with extortion, wire fraud and bank fraud, and is facing up to 100 years in jail. Um, the interesting thing about this, besides the fact that it's just funny, you know, and, and it, don't, don't get me wrong. I know he's got, you know, like he's got a family and people that love him. I don't care. This is funny. If you don't think this is funny, we just have different senses of humor. This shit's funny. But here's the best part. His co-conspirator is reported to be Mark Garagos, who I believe goes back to the OJ days. Mark Garagos most recently has represented Jussie Smollett. It gets better. Mark Garagos also had another client recently who had a big payday at the expense of the NFL. You may have heard of him. His name, Colin Kaepernick, who just happens to have a pretty lucrative deal with... Hold on. Let me check my notes here. Hold on. Hold on here. Let me just check my notes here. Let me get it. up. Oh, Nike. <laughs> Can't make it up, people. I know what you're thinking, man, what a crazy idea. As Colin would tell you, it's only crazy till you do it. That's what's going on. It's amazing how these dots all connect. It's amazing how it all comes back to the same crop of people. It really, really is. I remember Michael Avenatti, the first time I really got familiar with him, I think he was on 60 Minutes after the NFL. I think that's when, well, I guess Stormy Daniels did her interview the same day, so he was on there. And he's, you know, his braggadocious nature and the, and the beady eyes and everything else talking about his track record. And they even asked him on CBS, and they said, look, you've got a, a history in politics. And he, go, he connects right back to Rahm Emanuel, Rahm Emanuel, who used to work in the White House for Barack Obama. And these guys, it's like somehow, it's like six degrees of separation. These people can never get away from each other. But here's Mark Garagos, here's Jussie Smollett, here's Colin Kaepernick. What the hell is going on here? My God. So it's been an interesting, you know, few days. Again, the, like, look, the politics stuff is played out. But when the politics sort of devolves into pure comedy, come on, people, give me a break. This isn't I don't, I don't think at this point, Michael, I don't think Michael Avenatti has many friends right now. I don't think many people are willing to vouch for him. So I would say this is really beyond politics. This is just about stupidity. And with all the, you know, all the news that Nike's made lately with these Colin Kaepernick ads and with Zion Williamson blowing through a sneaker and with all the, the sneaker drama in general connected to college sports. The timing of this is really interesting, especially the fact that he's doing it during the tournament. This is the one, the one window of time during the year where everybody cares about college basketball. Of course, it's some places like Duke. Okay, that, that's a little bit different. Not a lot of schools, though. Think about it. Think about all the schools that are consumed with college basketball the entire year. North Carolina would be another one. Who are the other ones? Go ahead. Syracuse? You got to think a little bit about it, don't you? Because a lot of the schools also have big-time football programs. It just happens that, you know, Carolina basketball is bigger than Carolina football, although Carolina football makes money, too. Duke is much bigger in basketball. Syracuse is much bigger in basketball, and so on and so forth. So he chose this as his, as his this is when the press conference was going to happen. That obviously just makes it look like more of a, of a shakedown and less of a legitimate lawsuit. And again, he wants to claim that something happened with DeAndre Ayton in Arizona. Hey, I just assumed it did. I didn't, didn't we, weren't we already kind of onto that anyway? So I guess if there's one thing America can agree on, it's that Michael Avenatti's fucked in the head. Now, what part Mark Garagos wanted to play in this whole thing? I have no idea. I don't get these guys. Mark Garagos, as far as I knew, has had a tremendous, 
career as a high-profile lawyer with, obviously, a bunch of celebrity clients. What is he getting mixed up with this guy for? I don't know. I don't know exactly how these things connect. I just know these guys somehow always find their ways around each other, and they all come back to somehow there's a political tie-in and everything else, and it's, 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 really, it's really quite bizarre. It's fascinating, but it's also quite bizarre. And the one thing that you kind of take from all this is when you're dealing with people who love to make accusations, just tread lightly before you go ahead and latch on to whatever cause they're trying to push. Because usually when, when the people are accusing and accusing and accusing, there's an agenda there. And it's almost sociopathic how people will try to repeat and repeat and repeat and just pound it into your head that something's going on. You know, whether it's a politics thing, a personal thing. I'll, I'll give you an example, okay? Because a lot of us have been on the receiving end of, of you know, just, just lies, bad rumors, whatever. A year ago, Chris Hardwick, and I talked about it right here. Okay, he's got a girlfriend. They break up. He then dates somebody else. They're now married. All of a sudden, his ex-girlfriend, Chloe Dykstra, decides to write an article in Medium about what a monster her ex-boyfriend was. Okay, he's some sort of sexual deviant, verbally abusive, whatever that really means. Okay, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. She didn't give the name, but she gave all the details about the guy, like what kind of job he had, when they dated, how long they dated. So you'd have to be a moron not to figure out she was talking about Chris Hardwick. And as it turns out, he dumped her. Now, if everything was so, if he was such a bad guy, A, why did he have to dump her, not the other way around? I know what you're going to say. Oh, you know, well, sometimes when you're abused, yada, yada, yada. Okay, fine. It also turned out she cheated on him. How about that part? Okay. And he had to actually go through... Now, he kept his jobs, but he had to go through being suspended. He had to go through being dragged to the mud. People on Twitter talking about what a piece of shit he was, yada, 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 before finally he just he, he let uh, AMC and Comedy Central and everybody else investigate and find out they couldn't find anything that he had done wrong, including from any of his other girlfriends, which is, let me just give you a hot tip, girls. If you're going to make accusations about your ex, you better hope there's another ex out there that can back you up. Because if the guy's in his 30s, or his, I think Chris Hardwick's in his early 40s, and there's no other women willing to say this kind of stuff about him, chances are it's not going to look too good for you, especially if you actually cheated on the guy. And that's just one example. So sometimes when people just make these, they're constantly in, in the business. And in Michael Avenatti's case, it's literally business of making accusation after accusation after accusation. Just be careful who you listen to. That's all I'll say about that. You know, I just sometimes now with him, I think he's such a circus show that it's not even that, that difficult you know, he's such a P.T. Barnum type of character. It's not that difficult. But a lot of times when somebody's saying what you want to hear, when they're making an accusation that would make you look like your, your, your crazy accusations were actually legitimate, sometimes it's easy to latch onto that. That's why you want to be careful before you do stuff like that. Okay? Doesn't matter if you lost an election. Doesn't matter if some guy dumped you. Doesn't matter what happened. Okay? Sometimes just, just be careful with who you listen to. That's all. Um, NFL stuff real quick. Packers versus Bears. Opening weekend. The reason they're doing that on the Thursday and moving the Patriots to Sunday is it's the 100th anniversary of the NFL. So they want to promote the league. I, I have no problem with them doing that. Um, you say Packers, Bears, they're doing it in Chicago. Why not Lambeau Field? Because Lambeau Field is in Green Bay, Wisconsin. And that's not really a place to promote anything. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Except, I mean, it's, there's nothing. What? What are you going to promote there? Dairy? There's not, there's not a lot to promote. In, in, in Green Bay, Wisconsin. So Chicago, you can sort of make the epicenter of this big kickoff celebration. Um, and it won't be, it'll be about the league and not the Patriots. And Packers-Bears will be a good game. I mean, obviously, I would expect the Bears to have a little bit of an upper hand there because um, I think Green Bay is a little bit beat up this year again. Just sort of, they're just sort of a broken team. But, you know, plus, plus they'll have a brand new coach. Don't forget that, too. Um, so that's that. I have no problem with that. Gronk is retiring, um, allegedly, at age 29. Now, 
I don't have a problem with that either. A lot of people think it's too early that he might come back and everything else. I don't think so. I think he's taken a beating. I don't think he's got anything left to prove. I don't think he owes anybody from Patriots fans to NFL fans to anybody anything at this point. He's given a lot. He gets to go out on top, which is overrated. I mean, let's face it. There's 32 teams in the NFL. 31 of them are, are not going to win that year. He gets to win that year like he's won a bunch of other times. And um, what do you want him to do? If you look at him moving on the football field, it's very awkward. I mean, if you look at him in that replay against Miami where they lost in the Hail Mary, that, that crazy play at the end, they had him on defense for some really good reason. He looked like a, he looked like a newborn deer on, on, on ice skates out there, just flailing around. He can't, doesn't have lateral movement anymore. It's, it's really tough to watch. Plus, he's got an interest at least. I don't know if it's mutual, but he's got an interest maybe in going to the WWE. I know he's been in at least one movie. He'll be fine. You know, he's, he's a goofball, but he's like the fun kind of goofball where you don't really actually have to worry about him doing something bad. You see a big guy dancing around with his shirt off. You're like, okay, what's going to happen when he has a few too many and some guy starts with him and next thing you know, he's going to throw some guy through a window. No, he doesn't do that kind of stuff. Charles Barkley used to do that kind of stuff. You know, he, but he's, he's more of the fun kind of partier. He's not like the Johnny Manziel type of partier where you're like, okay, it's only a better time before he blows a gasket or he gets arrested with his girlfriend, you know, fighting on the side of the road, which actually happened to Johnny Manziel. Gronk is more of like a, a, just a fun personality. And for a guy that doesn't come across as entirely bright, he markets himself pretty well. I think he's a guy that's got a, a, a career to look forward to after football. And I think he's going to, I think he's going to take advantage of that. And I don't blame him at all. The other big retirement news from this week is that apparently Conor McGregor is uh, calling it quits for UFC. I don't know how seriously to take this at this point. I kind of feel like Dana White's going to be like, okay, see you later. I don't think there's going to be any begging, begging him to come back. Just for this reason, I think that the UFC's gotten what they need to out of him. And I think that with the legal issues, with the stunt he pulled at Barclays Center, and now there's another problem down in Miami, which isn't, it's not a big deal. He didn't beat anyone's ass, which obviously he could do to, you know, 90% of the population at least. But he took a guy's phone and slammed it on the ground. And people are trying to make excuses for this guy, but it's enough already. He's got a right to go out. He's got a right to not be harassed. I don't know if someone taking a picture of him in public is really being harassed. Guy's made himself a lot of money. Don't forget about the 100 million or so that he made with that ridiculous fight against Mayweather, where Mayweather just toyed with everybody. Okay, because Mayweather could have ended that fight whenever he wanted to. We all know that. I mean, looking back on that, Mayweather was just kind of letting him, letting, letting McGregor run himself into the ground because he knew he wouldn't have the stamina, and then he just sort of went to work on him. And, you know, I think the over-under in that fight was nine and a half rounds, and he got him somewhere in the 10th, I think, if I'm not mistaken. But, you know, Conor McGregor's made plenty of money. I think Dana White's tired of having to suspend him, tired of hearing all the rumors about the stuff he does, you know, out of the ring and, and when he's hanging out and partying and everything like that. I'm not saying Conor McGregor's a bad guy. He's done a lot for UFC. He's helped, you know, Dana White make a lot of money. But I just think that at this point, Dana White's going to be like, you know what? See you later. I, I, don't, I don't think anyone's going to beg him to come back because I think the sport has now gotten bigger than him, much bigger than him. And, and, from, and from his perspective, too, I mean, it's a rigorous life having to train for those things, and you take a pounding, too. I mean, UFC is, I mean, it, it's, some of these knockouts are getting to be ridiculous. Guys are, you know, guys are just, you know, spouting blood from their nose and their ears. Their, their faces are getting misshapen. They're taking kicks and punches to the face and the head where people, they come out of the fights and the doctors say you're fine. Yeah, that's also happened in how many NFL games over the years. And now we know that it's, that's probably not the case. The guys really aren't fine. I have no problem with him walking away and spending his money. And he, he's another guy like Gronk. He does stuff, you know, outside of just fighting. He's another guy that's promoted himself very well. Uh, when he start, first started getting into the ring on a professional level, he was a plumber's apprentice. So I think things have played out pretty well for him. He wants to walk away. Let him walk away. 
Like I said, the sport's got plenty of stars. I'm not a big UFC guy. I know he's about as big a star as the sport's ever had, but he's not the only one. You have Chuck Liddell and George St. Pierre and these guys. There's been a lot of stars. There were guys before him. There'll be guys after him. That's just how it works. So he wants to go. Happy trails to him. But I don't think anyone's going to beg him to come back, especially after the nonsense of Miami. Even though that sounds minor, it's going to escalate eventually into him doing something else. And I think Dana White has just had it. That's just my guess. Um, Okay. March Madness. I said last week when we're going through the bracket that I just didn't see a lot of potential here for craziness. And you fast forward to here. And like I said earlier, All of the one, two, and three seeds made it through to the Sweet 16. That's not supposed to happen, but that's exactly what what did. The closest you came to upsetting that pattern was Maryland. Now, I said Maryland was a sleeper out of the East. Maryland could have beaten LSU. Some think they should have beaten LSU. Got themselves into a big hole, and last-minute shot by Waters who is one of the better players on LSU. They get through past Maryland. Maryland still covers. I had Maryland plus two and a half in that game, so the two-point margin. In fact, at the end of that game, it was tied. And LSU comes and calls a timeout, so I'm thinking anything but a three. Because a three either goes in and I lose, because I'm getting two and a half with Maryland, or the three misses and we go to overtime. And then overtime, anything happens. So an LSU two-pointer, maybe you go to overtime, but if he makes it, then you win. You know, Even though the team that I bet on lost the game, it's not my concern. My, my concern is with the wager. So LSU gets by, um, gets by Maryland. Now they'll go against Michigan State. Here's where the coaching thing gets interesting. No Will Wade. The guy who is Will Wade's assistant, who is basically the acting head coach, is obviously, is obviously a step down. We'll put it that way. From Will Wade. Will Wade, who, by the way, look, if you're going to be, be involved in these, these scandals with sneaker companies and recruiters and everything else, and just offering kids straight up cash. Can you do the world a favor and not talk about it on your own phone and not mention the player's name while we're at it? You got to be fucking kidding me. My God, is this your first day? And he doesn't, he doesn't look like a crook. He really doesn't. Like I said, he came from you know VCU, assistant coach under Shaka Smart. This is his second year at LSU. And these are the conversations that he's having. Man. Michael Avenatti thought he was going to floor us with some story about DeAndre Ayton. Anyway, and by the way, Will Wade wanted to coach in the tournament. He didn't want to talk to the school. He didn't want to deny any wrongdoing. Still wanted to coach in the tournament. And he threw something in there about constitutional rights. Come on, man, stop. Boy, I didn't want to hear from Colin Kaepernick. I don't want to hear from you. You don't have a constitutional right not to answer questions about, about your involvement with a known criminal when your team's about to head into March Madness. What do you want, all the wins vacated? You fool crazy they will they will cut him loose i would say pretty much the instant lsu is knocked out of the tournament that's my guess lsu will face michigan state michigan state's actually a six-point favorite in that game i'll tell you right now lsu has better players but the six points comes in first of all you're paying a little bit more a lot of favorites won in fact all the favorites won outright this past weekend a lot of them covered so apparently the sports books took a beating so if you notice that some of these lines look a little inflated that's your reason why and the sports books are not in the habit of losing money. They do a lot of volume these weekends. So some of these lines, if you want to take the favorite, you're going to pay a premium. You know, Duke is a seven-point favorite against Virginia Tech. By the way, getting back to LSU, Michigan State, I'm already in on LSU plus six. LSU has, has the better players without question. Without, absolutely without question. Is Tom Izzo really worth that, much, that many points? I don't believe so. Like, if you're telling me LSU was on the road at Michigan State, now Michigan State would be a nine-and-a-half to ten-point favorite? You're kidding me, right? the SEC champion. If you notice, the SEC has done quite well in this tournament. They're having a pretty good year. 
So Michigan State is all of a sudden a six-point favorite just because why? You see them in March every year with different players? No, sorry. So LSU plus six for me. That now may not work out. You never know because their coach is missing, but... Sorry, I'll take, oh, you're going to give me six points with the better team. I'll go ahead and take it. Duke's going to face Virginia Tech. Now, when Virginia Tech beat Duke earlier this year, Zion wasn't there. Virginia Tech was also missing a really good player. And Virginia Tech sort of just, you know, just sort of waltzed through St. Louis. Liberty had a lead on halftime, at halftime at Virginia Tech and sort of shut down in the second half. And they missed a lot of wide-open threes, a lot of open shots. So Liberty got a little bit tight. I have not been sold on Virginia Tech all year. But here's two teams now from the ACC meeting each other in the Sweet 16. Um, you don't see that a lot, but but that's what you're getting there. Gonzaga, Florida State, that's a rematch from last year when Florida State blew out Gonzaga, knocked them out of the tournament. The Gonzaga team was a team that I almost picked to win the national championship. They're just too sloppy. And that game against Baylor, you know, they were about to, to pull away to at least a 20-point win. And they came out in the second half, and Baylor goes on an 8-0 run. And then there's turnovers, there's a silly technical foul, and it ended up winning the game by 12. But it got down to, I think, 5 or 7 at one point. Baylor actually made it a competitive game. And so I just, this team, this Gonzaga team to me just doesn't have that sort of killer instinct to sort of deliver a knockout punch. Florida State team, on the other hand, has gotten more and more focused as time has gone on. And they have a tendency to sort of be lazy. They have a tendency to sort of come out slow. You saw that in the first round against Florida State. They manhandled Murray State. And John Moran took a bad step early in this game. And it seemed like things kind of went downhill from there. The rest of the Murray State team really, really wasn't that good. You know, some of these teams are pretty balanced, some of these mid-major teams. Murray State, not so much. They got, you know, especially when you get down to their, like, third and fourth best players. But Florida State did a good job against John Morant, but they could not be stopped, and they looked very crisp on offense. That will be another good game, another very good game. Texas Tech-Michigan, the two versus the three. Texas Tech, I believe I picked to go to the Final Four last week, so, I'll, you know, I would pick them again here, especially getting the points from Michigan. They can absolutely beat Michigan. That's another game where you'll pay a little more. What is Michigan in that game? Let me just see here. Michigan's, okay, two-point favorite, so no, no big deal. Um, a lot of people will be on Michigan. One thing to note about Michigan is Michigan, if you look at all the games they've played, the last time they played a, a, a bad game, okay, since February 12th, that was at Penn State, the, last time, the only bad games they've played besides that have been against Michigan State. Other than that, Michigan has been excellent against every team. They've covered against almost everybody. That will be a very good game with two very good coaches. Um, two very physical teams. It'll be, it'll be, that'll be interesting. I think you're, you'll definitely get your money's, money's worth if you watch that one. Um, and then let's talk, look at the other side of the bracket here. Okay, Virginia. Virginia is down at halftime to Gardner-Webb to open up their, their first-round game. You get them down double digits in the first half, and you're saying, what's going on here? Gardner-Webb totally shuts down in the second half, stops making shots they were making in the first half. They obviously got a little bit tight, and Virginia goes, you know, you know, wins going away is 71-56. They then basically manhandle Oklahoma. They got a little silly at the end there, so it got a little bit closer than it should have. The one thing about Virginia that wears on you, especially if you bet, and I, I, lost, I lost money in two games with them because of this routine because I had the over in that first game, which should have hit with ease. Virginia gets a lead late, and they start trying to run down the clock. And I'm not talking about managing the clock. I'm not talking about taking the shot clock down inside of 10 seconds. I mean, they literally hold the ball, hold the ball, dribble the ball inside, dribble it back outside, and try to put on almost like a Harlem Globetrotter show and get into some sort of move to the basket with like five seconds left in the clock, which inevitably ends up with some sort of ridiculous off-balance shot that is, that is just completely, you know, ill-fated from the start. And there's one thing to run down the clock. There's one, another, another thing to get too cute and to get into the habit of just trying to, to wind down the time. That can come back to haunt you. 
You start getting in that habit and you give up you give up quick threes to the other team, all of a sudden, you know, you realize, oh, we're gonna have to score some more to win this game. But they're not in the in the mode of scoring. They've got a better offense than they've had in years past. Their defense is good, it is not great. And they're getting a little bit too much into that Tony Bennett sort of ideology, if you will. Let's win the game with defense. Let's keep it to a grind. Let's make it a low-scoring game. That hasn't worked for them yet. If you notice early in the year when they were really, really playing well, it's because the offense was loose. They were letting the offense flow. DeAndre Hunter, Kyle Webb, they've got guys that are going to be in the NBA. Their big guys are sort of average at best. But I, I just I can't stand seeing these teams late in games. Instead of just playing basketball and delivering a knockout punch, they just sort of see how much it's like watching an egg timer how much can we just drain the clock like hey coach look at me look 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 how low i took the shot clock there that's great our 12 point lead is now seven why do you knock that shit off sorry and you know it comes from the coach it really i mean all joking aside it comes from tony bennett we all know that and to me it just it's ridiculous oregon is going to face virginia they can actually win that game i don't care if they're a 12 seed and virginia is an eight point favorite in the game look oregon may be a 12 seed but that means nothing at this point um, they absolutely, I mean, ran away from Wisconsin. The game was never close. And then UC Irvine's a good team. Now, they were overmatched against Oregon, and they got UC Irvine beat a Kansas State team that's pretty much without their best inside guy, Dean Wade. So that was sort of, you know, was it an impressive win? Yeah, it's an impressive win. They were still Big 12 champions regular season, right? So that's kind of impressive. But UC Irvine had like a 20-something game winning streak coming to that game, and Oregon just ran away from them. Oregon's playing really well. And, they don't, and they're another team that just, they, they, just do, they do not quit. A lot of energy there. Washington was kind of the same way against North Carolina. North Carolina just, is just too good, and Washington can't keep up. Washington doesn't have the firepower to keep up with Carolina. But in the first half, Washington, you just saw a lot of effort, a lot of like just a lot of energy, especially from the guards there. Oregon will will absolutely challenge Virginia. You watch um, the Purdue versus Tennessee. Purdue just slaughters Villanova, who completes the theme of the first two rounds, which is that the Big East is garbage, and it's nothing against the Big East. I, I live in that area. I live in I live in the Northeast. Nothing against the Big East. They've got some storied programs, Villanova being one of them. This is a bad year for the Big East. Oh, my God. Seton Hall getting trounced by, it was Walford, right, that trounced Seton Hall, and then Murray State just completely gate-to-wire dominating Marquette. Those are supposed to be the better teams in that conference. Purdue just, I mean, it was it was 87-61. It wasn't that close. I, I, Iowa and Tennessee now, on the other hand, Tennessee had at halftime, I think it was, I think it was a 19-point lead at halftime. The game ends up going to overtime because Tennessee, like I just said about Virginia, Tennessee decides, hey, look, coach, look how we can run the clock down. And you're watching these guys and they get the ball 35 feet from the basket and they're just standing there. No one's doing anything. There's no motion on offense. Guys are jogging. Guys are lackadaisical. They're basically, you know, they're basically styling out there. Well, wait a second. You guys realize you got another 16 minutes to play here. And Iowa has guys who can score. And as I said, I tweeted at, at like, I think it was at the first TV timeout. I said, uh, Tennessee better grow up here or I was going to get back in this game. And it didn't take long before the lead was down to five. And next thing you know, they're tied. I mean, it was just, you know, a couple mistakes here. I was feeling it. Tennessee's not feeling it. All of a sudden, Tennessee feels like they have to score. Iowa's got all the confidence in the world. And they're, you know, they're the guy with nothing to lose. Crazy game. The Purdue-Tennessee game, I think, should be good. But Tennessee's a better team. Tennessee has better players. And I would think that the game against Iowa was a major wake-up call. So I think Tennessee gets through there. I really do. Carolina's my pick to win the national championship. That's not going to change, but they will get a challenge from Auburn. If you haven't watched Auburn this year, that is a fun game to watch. That's going to be, when Friday night? Friday night at 7.30. So that's going to be the same time as the... 
So that's going to overlap with the LSU Michigan State game. Boy, you got a lot of good games. I and mean, inevitably, they're all, they, they got to be at the same time eventually. So Carolina Auburn is going to be the same time as LSU Michigan State. Wow. Auburn has a bunch of guys that are really good shooting threes. And they better be because they shoot a ton of threes. And it's not just one or two guys that specialize in it. It's, it's like the whole team. It's like the entire team is six foot six and can, and can bomb away from three. Carolina obviously can score from anywhere on the court. It, I tell you what, they will get a challenge from Auburn. Now, you never know. Someone on Auburn has a bad shooting night, whatever. But that game, you'll see a lot of points. The total is also sky high. Total's in the 160s. And if Auburn, is, if Auburn happens to be off, that'll be an easy under. But I don't think that's going to happen necessarily. Carolina's defense is good. It's not that good. And Auburn actually, the other thing about Auburn, Auburn plays a lot of guys. And Carolina wants to run up and down the court and sort of wear you down. And that's just the style they want to play anyway. But they're very deep. So is Auburn. And you may think Bruce, Bruce Pearl is a crook. That's kind of been a theme lately in college basketball. Let's just leave that out of it for a second. He's done a very good job at Auburn. Found himself a hall. I mean, for a guy, a New York City guy who's got a, a reputation for being a little bit shady, he's found himself a home in the Southeast, um, even if Tennessee did run him out of there a few years ago and if the NCAA told him to get lost for three years. Um, the, other, the other game you get in the Sweet 16 is Houston and Kentucky. First of all, you don't know if Kentucky's going to have P.J. Washington. That's the first thing. Um, I watched a little bit of Houston against Ohio State. I watched most of that game. Houston team's impressive. They really are. Um, and that conference is impressive. Um, remember Duke, you know, Duke against Virginia Tech. Duke, you know, very easily could be watching UCF play Virginia Tech. That UCF team took them down to the wire. Duke had every break, and I mean every break. And I'm not trying to cry an anti-Duke sort of, uh, so, sort of uh, you know, theme here. That's not what I'm going with. You know, I'm not trying to give you some sort of anti-Duke diatribe. That's, that's not what this is. But Duke had everything go well at the end of that game. The blown dunk on the alley-oop, then the, the three-pointer that came right after it, a couple of questionable calls, the fact that that rebound went right to R.J. Barrett, and he was able to tip it right in, everything, everything. If Taco Fall just gets out of Zion Williamson's way, we're probably having a different conversation right now. Honestly, if he just gets out of the way and says, hey, go ahead, score, dunk, leave me alone, leave me out of it, we might be having a different conversation here. Absolutely. Anyway, the point being, not to get back to Duke, but the point being that Houston's a good team from a very good conference. And Kentucky, that's a really weird line, right? Kentucky minus two and a half. Very interesting to see what happens there. And by the way, Kentucky beat a very good team from Wofford. They beat them by six. They were five and a half point favorites on Saturday. I was seeing a lot of guys on Twitter. And again, you follow me on Twitter at BC, a.k.a. The Man. I'm seeing guys who are in the sports gambling business. Guys who either make picks for a living or write articles for a living. You know, I'm seeing them bemoan the fact that Kentucky covered that game. What part am I missing here? Was Kentucky not in control for most of the last 10 minutes of that game? I mean, you want to say that Kentucky made their foul shots late and there was a foul that, that could have... Maybe, maybe Wofford didn't have to foul inside of 10 seconds left, but that wasn't anything crazy. Kentucky was leading by a couple possessions for most of the second half, especially as he got later and later. I know Fletcher McGee didn't make any three-pointers, but wasn't part of that because Kentucky played really good defense? And maybe John Calipari just maybe said, we're not going to let that guy beat me. I mean, there are bad beats in, in, in gambling. I, I took a couple of them this weekend. I benefited this weekend. I had the second half over in Iowa, Tennessee. I never would have hit that if the game didn't go to overtime. So I, got, so I benefited there. And there were a couple games that I deserved to win that I didn't. That's how it goes. So I, these people that are crying about Kentucky covering against Wolford just because you gave out Wolford plus five and a half like it, like it couldn't lose. Sorry, guys. Maybe Fletcher McGee is not going to the Basketball Hall of Fame. Sorry. Nothing against Fletcher McGee. I don't want to pick on him. But that was not, sorry, that was not a bad beat. So I think Houston, Kentucky, you're in for a very good game. Now, 
I still have all my final four picks intact. I kind of think most of you do because the top three seeds are alive in every single region. So this is coming down to, I picked Duke, Duke Carolina in the final. I have different feelings about that now. I actually feel like Duke is very vulnerable. And I feel like Duke, I think, is probably still two to one. That's not a good enough price for me. Sorry. I would stick with Carolina, which at a lot of places, I think, is like five or six to one now. I know there were eight to one at some places before the tournament even started. Let me see real quick if I can find it here. But Carolina, to me, is going to be a much better. I don't, I, don't care, I don't care what it is. It's going to be better than Duke. So Duke's five to two. Yeah, Carolina's six and a half to one. So obviously that could change at some places. Some places may have it at six to one. Some places may have it at seven to one. But that's where I'd go. How, how could Carolina, who beat Duke twice, granted without Zion, I get it but came within a Zion tip-in of beating them three times this year, how could they be almost triple the odds of Duke? Does that really make any sense to you? It doesn't make any sense to me. And I, Duke, Duke has no picnic getting to the Final Four either. I think LSU beats Michigan State. Now, even if Michigan State beats LSU, you know what? You have a very experienced Michigan State team against a very immature Duke team that, let's face it, struggles from the outside. Yeah, I don't know about all that. You want to take 5-2 to two on Duke? Good luck. They could win, but a 5-2, to two, I have no interest. Let's see how it plays out. You have a very, very entertaining, I think, Sweet 16 to look forward to. And that is all the time we got this week on The Air Attack. Thanks for joining us. Make sure you check out Facebook.com slash The Air Attack and follow me on Twitter and on SoundCloud at BCAK The Man. And remember, The Air Attack with BC The Man is now available on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and the Anchor app. We'll close it out tonight with my friend Chase Allen. Here is Star Tonight. I am BC The Man. See you guys next week on The Air Attack.